yes. Uh, this is uh, the Las Vegas studios of Adam versus the Man, in case you were wondering. We are here unintentionally, uh, but this beautiful hotel curtain backdrop is really, well, I would say courtesy of American Airlines, courtesy of, uh, well, it's really government. They're all government air. I, you know what? I said, that I love, the one thing I love about flying is making dumb jokes about flying to random people at the airport constantly. Um, and I, I didn't, okay, so like, I didn't mean to do this, but when, the, when they came to serve drinks on the plane last night, Joey wanted a coffee and she said, with anything. And my brain was trying to make a dumb joke about like, with anything, like, yes, with a toilet seat made out of solid gold. Do you have any of those? And, but she said, would you like anything, sir? I said, yes, a coffee, please, with two shots of rum. Like, rum and coffee, is that even a, like, I, I what alcohol do, vodka? That sounds gross. Vanilla vodka. Vanilla vodka and coffee. Splash of Kahlua in your coffee. It's but the, the edge edgy taste of vodka seems like I mean, it vodka, would be like, water, like contrast with the edgy taste of or the sharp taste of coffee. You would want like a liqueur, like like Bailey's. That's like Bailey's that's and coffee. Like that's what you do. So I I asked, but rum at least is sweet and, and soft as a liquor. So I was asking, I was like, I made up a drink on the plane because I couldn't think of a better dumb joke off the top of my head. And so I said, can I have a coffee? She said, with it, I, I waited for it. With anything, sir? Two shots of rum. I'm sorry, we don't serve alcohol at airplanes anymore. And this just set me up because I was like, oh, right, because of COVID. And she said, no, no, no. It's because we've had unruly passengers lately. And I'm like, <clears throat> you mean like this whole last year that you've been trying to enforce mask mandates on airplanes as airline employees? Blame, yeah. If you're gonna and, and if you're, you're going to bully people, blame the passenger. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, um, yeah. Standing up for their rights. Yeah. And, and like, even like, it, it would be one thing if they. Like, because Joey and I, even just in the last few months, and and even earlier, we had flown, I mean, we've flown about half a dozen, like, weekend trips for events in the last few months, right? Yeah. And none of them are chill about it. Like, none of them. None of them. Like, hey, can I assume that you have a medical condition? I have to ask. Yeah. Or you're eating, right? Hey, if you're done eating, do you mind, you know, just even being polite about it. No, they're fucking not. Like, whatever it is, like, all of the Karens have been exposed. All of the petty tyrants in the making would be looking for an excuse. Uh, there are a lot of them who work for airlines. What do you know? <laughs> so uh, on the way out, I actually was like, she, okay. so I said that to her. And I was pretty, I was pretty, uh, I said, well, you know, if you're, Maybe it's, I, I think I said it relatively right. polite the first time. So maybe it's not passengers. Maybe it's because you're having to enforce all this mask stuff on people. And, and then you said, and, well, and the passengers haven't changed. Yeah, I did say it. And, and she, 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 you could tell it really got under her skin because she, she like false started a few sentences and, and then said, well, bleh, bleh, bleh. I don't want to argue with you about it. <laughs> it was like, oh that's like if if someone comes up to you and goes, 
hey, can you stop like stealing shit? You really should stop and 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 beating people up on the street. Like it's it's really wrong. And well, is it necessarily wrong? And then they, they go, well, no, no, it's never okay to just walk. Hey, hey, I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm just gonna keep stealing shit and beating people up at random. Don't like don't get my face about it. <laughs> so on the way out, I I, I I mean one of the passengers on the way in like warned me like well, you know, as long as we don't have to turn the plane around. And, and remember you asked, you're like, are they doing that? And it's like, yeah, because we've been warned and I've been banned from flying on Delta Airlines. <laughs> well, Regular viewers know this story. <laughs> but uh, apparently that's a, th- I don't know. Well, the guy they're, they're, they're like, he's like, well, I mean, you got to figure it's 128 people versus one. And I'm like, well, it should be I will well, turn this plane around right now. Asserting their rights versus the flight crew. Yeah. That'd be a better scene. Because <laughs> you have no. to imagine when, when there is an unruly customer, right? An unruly passenger, that at least 50% of that plane's looking, thinking this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening, and nobody opens their mouth about it. They just sit there and let it happen. Yeah. And that's gross. Well, we already have a comment from Mike Freeman give someone a thimbleful of power, they'll abuse it before sundown. <laughs> A thimble full of power. Well said. Half a thimble full of You get yeah. added these Facebook group moderators get added. Like, I'm an admin. Like, the power because I'm a Facebook admin. How dare you challenge my authority as a flight attendant during a pandemic? <laughs> so the line I'm, I'm getting at, though, I was making some joke about the airport being a government building and, and how ridiculous it was. And I, it was just to some random stranger, someone who I like told like moderately overweight older woman, you know, someone I, I would have as much expectation to be like just boomer or Karen or whatever. And she was totally going for it. You know, like she loved it. And then I, and then she said something about the airlines. And I said, well, they're all practically government airlines at this point anyway. And she was like, yeah, totally. Since all the bailouts and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fucking A. And, and, you know, as libertarians, we experience this weird dichotomy because she gets it, but she doesn't do anything. It, it, it's like there's a whole... And I'm not trying to overplay this, like, well, everybody's a libertarian. They just don't know it yet, you know, and that's true, <laughs> you know. And there are more of us than they want us to think. That's true. You know, like, 1% of the vote, right, comes out to what percent of the population, to what percent of sympathizers or libertarians who voted, whatever, or didn't vote, because a lot of libertarians, you know, some, some, some libertarians would tell you real libertarians don't vote in government elections, but that's uh, another debate. So there's this whole other layer of society that lives and votes status and never really talk. They'll talk libertarian, but to them, they don't call it that. They don't know it as that. They don't recognize it as that. It's just they have that understanding of government. They have that appropriate attitude towards it. And occasionally, like when they talk about paying taxes, for example, you know, hush, hush. Yeah, we don't really feel any obligation to pay taxes to this government, right? You know, hush, hush. 
yeah, don't call the police unless you really have to around here. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. But uh, they they I, I, I mean, the, the optimistic libertarian in me likes to think that that number is growing, that 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 segment of society that just gets it quietly. And it's just it's, it's our part of our major mission, you know, as libertarians, if we want to grow the movement, if we want to expand the critical mass of people who can act and think this way to reach those people. They're out there. And dumb humor at the airport's a good way to get to them. Psychic taxi, every time government eats someone's lunch, a libertarian is born. I think so. Just, Ed raises a really important point there, and I, I used to talk about this a lot more, that we're at the point where Every American has had some significant bad experience with government. And that's that's really huge. It's kind of like they've gone too far. I think they have failed to protect a critical mass of citizens of the empire in cushy jobs and meaningless lives as cogs in the machine where they're taken care of but get smoke blown up their butts for paying their taxes and being law-abiding citizens and putting you know i back the blue stickers on the back of their cars although it might just be copper pellet right ah <laughs> uh, yeah Th there are a lot of people who are just waiting to be reached that way because They've had some bad experience with government. And I'd like to think, oh, they've gone too far, right? Like, they haven't protected enough people, and enough people now are pissed and realize what government is really all about because they're motivated enough by their personal experiences. And I used to say, you know, maybe it's, it's one more person they've arrested unjustly, one more parent separated from their children without cause one less load of groceries for a family struggling because of a bullshit parking ticket or speeding ticket at what point is it everybody who's at least touched by that or maybe by one degree removed touched by something like that jim freedom many libertarians are probably felons and conveniently not allowed to vote yeah there's that too because they had the bad experience of unjustly having their rights taken away because you sold pot you're a felon or you had a gun in the wrong place at the wrong time you're a felon or you didn't comply with sufficient regulation and you're a felon and it's like you, you got bullied into taking a plea deal <clears throat> you're a felon so yeah Maybe think about how we reach those people. And what would I tell them? You are not alone, first and foremost, because part of how government works and victimizing people is bullying people into some kind of silence, making you think that you're alone. Look around. Don't be afraid to talk about important subjects because what your neighbors think will probably surprise you. Uh, and with that, today is Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. 
Welcome to the show. We got a good show stacked up for you today for our econ themed Tuesday thing that we're just sort of going with. Uh, we got to start with ransomware. because Ransomware is a big topic. But then we're going to do a global police state update that's kind of of an economic theme before we get to our big economics block. And then, I, I mean, I separated a, a few stories like I could have included in that, but shrooms, shrooms are a thing. Oregon Health Authority announces new section manager for psilocybin programs. Yeah, that's a headline that begs explanation, right? Pharma drugs, super smart, launches psilocybin sales online. We're going to get to that. Carrie Lake, finally, I know Ed's been waiting for us to get to the Carrie Lake stories. Uh, and then we just got a really fun grab bag and historically good news. And we have a guest today who is running for mayor of Minneapolis as a libertarian. That's an ambitious campaign. Nate Honey Badger Atkins joins us later on in the show. But first, Jim Freedom, producer notes. Producer notes, Jim Freedom in the house. What's going on? Welcome to Adam versus the man on a beautiful Tuesday morning. I hope by now you have joined our public telegram channel, t.me forward slash Adam versus the man. You know what telegram is by now. It's a messenger app. It's awesome. Use it. Anyone's available. Better. Doesn't cost anything. If you want to join the private producers club, you can win our contest today, which you'll hear about in just a few moments. But if you don't want to participate in the contest, you just want to buy your way through and streamline it. Patreon.com forward slash Adam versus the man. We'll get you access one, five, 10 or 50 dollars. $50 a month are our packages. $10 a month will get you access to the private producers club I mentioned. Uh, so that's a good deal. After that, check out cigarfederation.com. It's a great website for exotically flavored cigars. And you can use promo code Adam10 to get 10% off of everything you order. They got a Jack and Coke right there. I wonder if you can take these on the airplane. I don't know, probably. <laughs> but use the promo code Adam10. Get yourself. Hey, you about that? They don't serve like this is this is a COVID era regulation. I'm sorry if I glossed over this. They don't serve alcohol on airplanes anymore. And the stewardess who was told about the exchange was like, "Well, we're thinking about bringing it back now." Yeah, <laughs> Throwback Thursdays is it? And, <laughs> they, and they are so serious about this policy for whatever reason or from whatever authority. They have signs and, and intercom announcements that say you are not allowed to bring alcohol onto a flight. That's crazy. It's like, it's just, I mean, it's sort of like, a you know, fight at this bar once, so we no longer serve alcohol. <laughs> well, I mean, you think well, they, they should serve cannabis edibles. <laughs> yeah, your chill everybody the hell out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You'd have a plane full of gigglers, probably. <laughs> Everybody be laughing. I, I mean, for some people, like that, the, the I'm flying is such a stressful experience. I mean, I, I was joking. Okay, so um, I ran into an old friend at the hot tub at the hotel in Austin. Michael, I shouldn't say where. <laughs> uh, Michael Cargill, uh, who owns a gun store there and is a big Second Amendment rights activist in, in the Austin area and has to pursue some lawsuits with that. Um, but why, why did I go to that subject? What were we talking about? Uh, drinking on a plane? Getting drunk on a plane? Cannabis edibles on a plane. So Versus cannabis edibles on were a you plane? Gonna, were you going to mention I how would, we found him in a hot tub while we were all smoking weed? We were all smoking weed. No, I'll, 
<laughs> we were um no i was i was just thinking about like the policy with airlines and alcohol and like if you oh oh that it's like prison now i mean this is this is the uh, government turns everything it touches into shit you know like airplane flying should be you know a, a, a stressful experience naturally for people who are freaked out about flying but if you're not it should be pretty fucking chill and it's crazy. not it's not and i think i think about people who ha like is there is i i I mean, I, I kind of want to say get your shit together, right? But there is a certain sympathy I have for people who are just like, no, the experience of flying, of like looking, knowing that I'm up in the air of this physical term, like just freaks me out of being able to look down like, okay, cool. You know, I get it. And for some people, like alcohol is the only way they can cope with that shit. And, and it's not bad enough. Like flying for, for a lot of people is an inherently stressful experience and i get that i mean it should be i mean it kind of like joey like to be fair like even if you're totally chill about flying there's a certain stress of hey i'm about to be launched into the air at hundreds of miles an hour is this safe am i good is everything okay like yeah. i'm just situational awareness paying attention um so it makes sense that people who are stressed about anything that's like that are going to be particularly stressed from flying or about flying but then government just magnifies that like i don't know what five ten times how much more chill could could flying be if it wasn't for government's layer of bullshit on top of everything it could be as chill and as going to the doctor as chill as going to the doctor everything is much better or like going to the dentist at least it's a chill like de-stressing environment so that you focus on the stress of getting your teeth fucked up you know right uh, but the reason i mentioned michael cargill um is that i was um making an observation <laughs> i'm forgetting again as i'm trying to get back to it um that uh <laughs> oh that flying is like jail it's like prison it's like the one place you know you really need drugs and now they make it harder to get drugs <laughs> and somehow everybody manages to sneak <laughs> drugs in any way like if you really need alcohol on a plane, do you think their regulations are going to stop any? But like serious alcoholics, serious drinkers don't buy alcohol on an airplane. That's silly. They sneak it in after buying it in a duty free shop or have it in a Camelback. Although, see, since no liquids, you know, you can't over three ounces. You can't do camel. Wait, I guess you could do. Can you get just like shoot like like single shot bottles through TSA checkpoints? Probably not long. now with the alcohol because of the. I don't know, but it's less than three. If you okay, break if your, you put it in see if you bottle, if you yes. break your see if it's if you break your alcohol up into three ounce bottles or less, it's okay to get through. If you're if you take your bomb making liquids and pour them into double shot glasses and you get then you put them back together into another bottle, then you can make your bomb. You see how. <laughs> Kabuki Security Theater. I'm sorry, Jim. Were you saying something important? That's probably that's probably how the authorities that tested the S uh, the TSA got away with 97 percent of their materials that they got through or whatever. They probably did shit like that. Well, let's think of the most basic things to get around the the, the rules, and they did yeah, that. Okay, so and TSA yeah, didn't catch any of it. Yeah, they're 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 when they actually tested TSA with yeah. fake 
weapons and bombs. They missed over 90% of shit. And then the government told us that. And then they kept doing it. And then, and then didn't change anything. They didn't come back and report like, hey guys, we fixed it. Now, now only 20%. I didn't, I didn't notice their budget. Did their budget get raised after that or something maybe? Probably. Yeah, that's probably what it well, really what, one last sidebar before producer notes, because I forget who did this, but um, there was a guy who just wanted to like hack the weapons ban at airports and he, with items that he bought at convenience stores in the airports, you know, the, uh, the, the little stands with snacks and magazines and stuff like that. He was able to make like a crossbow and a flashbang grenade. Like he, he he took like like rolled up newspapers and pencils and actually made an effective bow and arrow that you could like hurt like really fuck somebody up with. Right. Anyway, <laughs> producer. <laughs> okay, uh, where were we? Let's see. Instagram Instagram handle is at the Garden of Freedom. So definitely check that out if you want to see pictures and videos. Uh, like this majestic sunset photo. Which one is that? Is that Luis? Thelma? That's Luis, yeah. That's Luis, yeah, okay. Beautiful pictures and videos of everything going up there in Gardenia on Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. So definitely check that out. The crypto6.com. I'm sure you heard about the Bitcoin <laughs> yeah, church. Yeah, bottom right. <laughs> what? Pull up that picture of Luis one more time. You forgot to mention the pussy in the picture. Oh, don't forget to pussy in the picture. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good picture. Holy yeah, God. it's, it's, like, it's like the Lion King picture. <laughs> That's the idea. Yeah. He's <laughs> playing the soundtrack in the background while we took the picture. Yeah, if I, if I knew what I was in for, I would have had that prepped, but my bad. <laughs> the crypto like, set. You can see these fun behind the scenes things, though. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> the crypto6.com you heard about the the bitcoin church that was raided this is the website where you can help those guys out the crypto6.com uh definitely click that website click all the buttons you can write to the people still being held in cages you can uh donate through the cryptocurrencies on the screen and lastly gogreenenergyonline.com that's the website we send everybody to that's thinking about doing it themselves to get interested in solar power micro wind power or more information about zero energy homes go to gogreenenergyonline.com all right hey jim bring up steve before you take off yourself uh because i want to make this one point i kept ladies and gentlemen steve remus from tucson co-hosting today got a great comment contest up in just a minute here before i forget this idea okay by finally why did i mention meeting michael cargill in a hot tub uh the uh it was because there's this I, a line that I use sometimes, you know, with other libertarians when we're uh, looking at the world and seeing horrific things that most people are in denial of or don't see. And a big part of where I bitch about that is airports. You know, it's like the unseen economic costs. It's not just that government airports suck, but if airlines were responsible for their own airports, they would be really relatively pleasant experiences, or at least they have to compete to be. And you know you'd have convenient parking and be able to you know walk up to the you know let, like park and friendly shuttle drivers and, or or just like the airplane is like right there and security is friendly and it's convenient right by the airplane. You know none of this like how far we had to walk a mile and a half in 110 degree weather 
because of the bullshit parking situation at the Vegas airport Saturday. And, and then walking through airports, like we don't realize this, but walking through airports is just to, to, to fly in most situations. I mean, I would say like on average, we now we we walk like it's you walk a mile every time you got to catch a flight and and for me and joey like we're pretty fit it's not a big deal for a lot of people though that's a huge stress and hassle and aggravation on top of flying that means you got to plan on being to the at the airport like two hours they actually told us on the plane be at the airport two hours early what the fuck? Really? It's that inefficient? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was after our flight was delayed an hour and a half from taking off. They said, by the way, next, it's like, blame the passengers. Next time, make sure you show up at the airport two hours early. Fuck yeah. you. Okay. But the reason I mentioned the hot tub, and I'll bring it back. I haven't forgotten. Michael Cargill and the hot tub. I told him, I was like, you know, being a libertarian is kind of like the curse of being able to see the matrix. And you remember the matrix where the guy's like, no, I can look at the matrix. I can see blonde, you know, brunette, redhead. And that's really cool. Like you can look at a line of code, you know, lines of green code on a black screen and see hot women that you're into. Okay, that's cool. But for us, it's like the opposite. Like all the unseen costs, like or something like it, it, it's like a, a curse where we see government in everything. Like I, we're staying at this hotel hot tub. And I'd be like, I was like, I can see government in the metal composition and the diameter of that metal steel tubing that they use to make the handrail of this fucking hot tub. I'm looking at these tiles and knowing that people pay taxes to get them here drives me nuts. And I can look at the mortar and know that it was laid according to regulation and government code. And that the paint on the wooden fence with lumber that is cut by government specs has government approved chemicals in it, not the most efficient, not the most effective. And there's a giant sign in all caps and red letters that says no diving. This pool is, this hot tub is three feet, 12 inches deep. And it's in all caps and says, do not use this hot tub if it's over 104 degrees. And there's a timer on the jets for 15 minutes. And you have to get up and reset it. And that, I don't know if that's an energy efficiency thing. That might be okay. But everything else, I'm like, I see government everywhere. It's like the curse of, of what, what I see dead people. You know, it's, like, it, well, I see government and it's fucking everywhere. The analogy you're looking for is from the same movie in The Matrix. It's just when Neo in the first one finally realized he's within The Matrix, but instead of seeing the fake world, he sees code. As you yeah. know what I'm saying, there's that part where he's in inside and he sees it as code. He sees it for what it really is, you know. That's, yeah. yeah. So, it Steve, is what it is. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks for getting those comments up during the opener. Those were good ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's the comment contest today? So, the comment contest today, naturally, after after you told everybody to sneak materials through the airport. Um, <laughs> So, so this this is under the assumption that the state has already uh, apprehended you and has and has and has you getting ready to get put on an airplane. If something happened and you lost your U.S. citizenship and you had to leave the country, where would you go and why? Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever reason. I mean, there's a lot of people. Oh yeah. 
expatriating from the United States. And one of the interesting challenges that like Ron Paul used to point this out back in the day is like, no, we're in we're in kind of a state of like prison America. And, and this didn't appeal to a lot of people because he was talking about leaving with money. Most people don't have any money. Most most Americans, practically speaking, don't have any money. Like compared to what we should or what natural wealth would be in this world and this society, given how much we work and what we create and produce, most Americans are more or less living paycheck to paycheck, right? Do you know do yeah. you know what the numbers on that? Uh, Who has Google? That's Google. Oh, it's it's fairly it's substantially high for I mean if you put how many Americans live into Google, the first suggested result is paycheck to paycheck. That hurts my soul. More than half of American consumers, 56%, said they are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. yeah. And I said, did I say most? I'm bar- I was barely right, 56%. Okay. I, mean, I mean, I feel, um, I feel like it's probably higher than that. I wonder, yeah, it makes it, well, so, so it makes you wonder about, I'm going to get into the survey, but tell, tell us why this contest. So, so why, why this contest is, uh, there's, there's, there's just a lot of things nowadays that you, you can, I guess, get hemmed up for by the government and, Mm -hmm. you know, some, some people become political prisoners and they get thrown in prison. I I tweeted this out on my Twitter and I got, I think my first three responses were they would be in prison. So (laughs) I was like, that's, that's fair. Okay. That's, that's, uh, but this is assuming that they've chosen to just deport you and relocate you. Um, and really it's an interesting topic because for me, I mean, honestly with El Salvador recently and a lot of their developments, I would probably consider going to El Salvador. Um, you know, I've, I've looked into Mexico and condos in Mexico before. Um, but it's, it's an interesting concept. If like you had to leave America, you know, where, where do you feel you could go and, and actually have, you know, maybe a similar lifestyle uh, or, or approach to, to freedom and really just, you know, even even Mexico, El Salvador, any of those countries, there, there's going to be a significant difference in, you know, cultural and society belief values. So, you know, there's there's something that we take for granted, I think, Steve, is uh, you know, privileged citizens of the empire is that in this in in. And there, there are a couple ways in which we have it pretty good, right? Oh yeah. If you're uh, at least if you're a white middle class American, right? There's a certain sense of security and stability. Yeah. Uh, that that we enjoy, that you're you're not going to get mugged and raped or murdered randomly. Uh, you're not going to be <clears throat> subjected to random political violence. In that sense, they protect us. Now we are we are the well-fed cattle of the uh, of the empire, right? You know the, the the way a rancher protects his cattle, right? They want to keep us fat and happy, um, but you know they know that they they are willing to make us unhappy to contain us, to keep exploiting us, because that's the point to to be able to lead us to slaughter. And so, I you know I I I, I actually really appreciate that, and and, and I, I think we kind of take it for granted, and we take it for granted that most of the world does not enjoy the level of that which we do. The other way is just general economic prosperity. And a lot of that is at the expense of the rest of the world through 
dollar empire military leverage and you know exportation of corporatism and you know the american banking system petrodollar being forced on on uh, you know uh, in around different you know in exchanges uh, around the world in different ways and uh i i mean i want to go where i the, the financial security i mean there is a certain I, like i i, I want to live in an economy or in, 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 you know be be connected in, you know both physically and remotely to an economy that is thriving and stable. You know, I don't want to live in a country where political upheaval is so significant that, you know, it, it challenges that. And I want, I mean, more important than that, I want the the physical security. Like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to live in Mexico only because cartel violence, it just comes with a certain risk of, of, of death if you get caught in it. You know, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, catch a straight bullet, Tough shit. Like I don't want to. I don't want to live somewhere that, where 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 that's something I got to worry about, right? So yeah. that those those are my concerns. Where I probably go, well, I probably go to the warmest part of Canada. <laughs> See, and I don't I don't know if I would go to Canada because I I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of influence. I mean, that's that's a completely different government, so, right? And yeah. and I would. I would be concerned over that intervention, like their intervention. Like our, our government's pretty interventionist, but there's clearly parts of Canada that it maybe maybe it's not as prolific, but their government overall, I think, is a lot more involved. There, there are a couple steps ahead of us down the path of runaway modern bureaucratic government socialism. Yeah. Excuse me, and, and but but they're also, um, in in some ways, positively more progressive. Uh, the, the the sort of socially liberal thing that that libertarians tend to agree with. They're, they're, yeah. They seem to be better, like for drug policy. There, you can you can order mushrooms on the internet and have them delivered by mail in Canada, quasi legally. I guess it's a thing. You can look out. You can look this up because. Someone showed us that. Someone sent us that link in the producers' club like a long time ago, right? We looked into this and it was like, "What? You could no way." We got mushroom stories today, but hey, so Steve, stay, say the contest one more time. Sure. So uh, it's uh, if something happened and you lost your U.S. citizenship and you were forced to leave the country, where would you go and why? And we've already got. We have a Mexico, a Ukraine. Um, Let's see. There was a good yeah. one about. We should uh, say wrong answers why? only. No, oh, we good, should... good why answers are, are what's going to get you on, on the screen. So this here. one is pretty good. North American First Nation to take you in. Okay, so you you mean like a native tribe in the United States on a reservation? Yeah, that would be probably, an interesting. Yeah, but that's not leaving the United States legally. Unfortunately, yeah. they are. They they it, it's it's like. Um, you know, one country, two systems, except that in the tribal areas, it's like two two systems on top of each other. And it's it's uh, it's sad that none of them are really truly sovereign. And that's one of the things that to me was, was so appealing about my presidential platform is that it gave every tribe the opportunity not just to be you know free of the federal government of the U.S., but uh, free of state governments and to declare sovereignty along with states in that process. Any good whys in here, Steve? 
Let's see. I kind of want to figure this question out for myself. I mean, I said the warmest part of Canada, and because it has a sort of security stability and general wealth stability, but I don't know that either that, that my reasoning is correct on either of those counts. Either that those are the, the the right criteria, or that by those criteria, Canada would be the best option. I don't I don't see a lot of good whys. I see, right. I, see well, I see country recommendations and. Uh, you know, it's that's the difficult part, right? Is 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 what why 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 that why that place? Um, because when you start when you start evaluating or comparing and contrasting with what what we currently live in, you you can, I think you end up with a a, a list of cons that are, you know, you're like, oh yeah, well I get to get away, but there's there's a significant trade off there. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to Ron Paul for a second, and uh, we can discuss this story that I just, uh, by, from Googling how many Americans live paycheck to paycheck, I just found this story. Um, but back to Ron Paul, Ron Paul would say, like, you know, you can't leave this country with your money, or like, you can leave, but not with your money. And it was, uh, the standard was like, if you had, you couldn't leave with over $10,000 at a time, or like, if you fly out of the United States. Um, customs, immigration, whatever they ask you, you have $10,000 or more in cash. And there are other controls in place, financial mechanisms to protect that. And I think Ron Paul knew what he was doing, but most people who heard that didn't realize that he wasn't talking to most people. He was talking to the economically literate libertarian nerds who are still living paycheck to paycheck and people who are not living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, people who have, despite the incentives, been able to uh, accumulate reasonable savings or wealth. Kimberwood, my why Ukraine is I know a nice area and beautiful people with a thriving self-sustaining homestead. Okay, well that's cool. And I guess you know there are probably a lot of parts of Europe like that that have the benefits I'm saying about Canada, maybe with even more relative freedom. But I don't know. I, I, there's something I I I feel like I would be safer in Canada than anywhere in Europe, given the general political instability of the European Union and the, the migrant crisis there. Well, uh, and Jim, Jim makes a good point here. You know, wherever you go, you're just falling victim to America's foreign policy. So even, yeah. you know, Central America, South America, you know, it's, it's still, there's still U.S. involvement there. Um, and we're just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. Let's go, what, what other countries are in the American empire favored like gang lieutenant list, right? Canada joined the coalition of the willing and I go, oh, so did Australia, right? Maybe for me, for the weather, I prefer like somewhere, I find somewhere with, uh, with some decent rain, you know, really just, because Australia has got a lot of outback got a lot of rural it's got a lot of out there places where as bad as they're well, although lockdowns i'm thinking both of these countries though u.s or canada and australia really bad for for covid policy canada not as bad as australia though but anyway this this headline so you know how many people is ron paul not talking to when he said like you can leave but you can't take your money and the reason this is important now is that bitcoin we got some great crypto stories today as well makes it possible for you to like if you can buy you can buy you can buy a million dollars worth of bitcoin and then memorize or even write down a password or a bunch of them 
And, and, and however you want to manage a physical written note that's a 12-word pass key, right? You can get a, a, a whatever it is you have or just have it password secure. There are a bunch of different ways. I'm not trying to give practical advice on how to do this. Just something that obviously Bitcoin makes it possible. You can turn cash or U.S. dollars into crypto and then you can move it without the United States government being able to know about it and leave the country or just leave the country and still access it. Like your money exists. You never took your money out of the country. You took your physical self out of the country and you're still able to access your crypto wherever you are in the world. But still for most people doesn't apply because 56% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And this is from Market Watch. And this is a this is a relatively recent story, Steve. March 29. Roughly oh, yeah. half of America. Roughly half of Americans say they have saved less than $500 in the past three months. Direct payments from the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. Do you feel rescued? I feel rescued. Started rolling out this month with more to come this week. Law authorizes $1,400 checks per person in households that make less than $75,000 for individuals and $150,000 for married couples filing jointly. And so they did this survey, uh, more than half of American consumers, 56% said they are living paycheck to paycheck and 48% have experienced unexpected financial setbacks in the last three months. Shocking. Over 70% say they're becoming more conscientious of where they spend their money, which is good. Um, but uh, this 49% say they have saved less than $500 in the past three months. And 40% of those who saved less than 500 were hit by job loss or foreign income. Now, I wonder, like, is it saved, like, saved and invested and then spent more? Like, does it still count if your net is negative, but you're actively saving? There are a lot of things, like, I don't really need to take the time to parse out here to, because I'm, I'm trying to get a, a, you know, a broad view, not a, not a, a detailed picture in this. But uh, as of February this year, this is, like, going back to story from March, 41.5% of unemployed workers have been out of work for over six months. Yeah. And, but there's so, yeah, I, and I think about like for myself, you know, and I, I don't have any qualms when discussing my sort of personal financial situation as long as it's relatively modest and I have <laughs> little tax liability to incur. Um, but like, I, I mean, the way I've thought of it is that, like, my homestead now is my savior. And and I think most Americans is, who, who are renters aren't even putting equity into a house. Yep. Like, which is like government savings program, essentially. Uh, you know, don't, don't really have the chance to do that. But because I bought my own land, you know, 11 acres for $13,000. I can say that, you know, and I love that, that I, you know, a lot of homesteading leads you to multi-purpose activity, right? I, like I do manual labor because I'm building shit that I enjoy and I'm having fun and I'm adding value to my property and I'm getting exercise, you know? So is it like, it's, it's kind of like adding value investment. Am I, is it savings? If I buy tools that go into that, is that savings? To me, that's in that category of longer term investment, you know? And until I'm maybe more organized with businesses and making significant money, you know, I, I just want to have a cushion, I, you know, a little diversified cushion. I want to have, you know, a little bit of metals, you know, a little gold and silver, and I want to have some crypto. 
and I'm there. So I would say I'm not in that living paycheck to paycheck category anymore, even though I don't have any income on paper, but because I've built that for myself. I'm, but that, that only happened, I'm 39. I only did that five years ago. You yeah. know, it took me till age 34 to be like, yeah, I need to, I need to buy land and this is how I want to, you know, build wealth and have some practical wealth that, that I can, you know, use to support a family or friends or, or colleagues or people who, you know, I would want to share that space or, or home for battle buddies like we're doing now. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that age, like 33, 34 is when I started looking for land and, and all that other stuff. Like I'm still renting right now. So uh, the rental market is complete shit, um, especially especially in, in Tucson, where there's no real economic job growth and you still have housing market increases and rental market increases, but there's no viable market justification for it. So, I mean, you're talking about people living paycheck to paycheck and suddenly their rent goes up 50 bucks. Like that's a big, yep. that's a big deal for a lot of people. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm fortunately not really in that situation, but I mean, $50 for 56% of Americans is going to be a big freaking deal. That's $50 out of your grocery bill. That's $50 out of your utility bill. That's $50. I mean, it's, 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 it's an unfortunate and, it, and it's clearly getting worse. Which know? brings me to one of the stories we're going to be coming back to in a few minutes. Pure panic lumber prices up a staggering 200 80% is builders scramble for supply. Related headline I saw yesterday was that lumber prices uh, are pricing most people out of buying a home. And it says current lumber prices are adding $24,000 to the average new home in America. Ridiculous. I mean, and you figure here, I think uh, a few years ago, you could buy a house for 150 grand here in Tucson. And it was a nice, it was a decent house. Now you have houses, $350,000, $400,000 that are, the same as those hundred fifty thousand dollar houses, and you're just like, where, 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 where does this money come from? Where does this? That brings me back to the point of the how many Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Because it, you can you can say like, hey Adam, you should have gotten your shit together younger. Yeah, and 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 I'm all for individual responsibility. We can when 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 we have as a society ceded so much of our economic rights to the central authorities you go and they are openly centrally planning these things you know through the federal reserve through federal policy through federal spending and this this relief stimulus the american rescue plan <laughs> uh you got to look at what are the incentives that they're creating that is resulting in this imbalance and man we got some deep economic stories we're gonna we got to get into today but be thinking about this, please, as we go through this. And I, it's kind of, I wish we had like an international, a big international day or block. We do have some international stories today for sure um, <clears throat> to, to go with this thing. But keep your answers, keep your comments coming. The comment contest is what, Steve? Uh, so if, if you were forced to leave the United States because you lost your citizenship, what country would you go to and why? And the why is important. Beautiful. There it is. You can read it. Keep that up for a minute as we get our economics block started. Thank you, Steve. We'll come back to you after a couple of these blocks. So it's Tuesday. We're talking money. But before we get to that, there's sort of two big 
blocks that set this up. And the first one today is ransomware. And I told this, I had a big, I told you so over the weekend when we saw that, because, hey, they're going to be using this to scare us like terrorism. And and right away, I mean, I was I was shocked, honestly, Joe, you remember this from yesterday, how soon I got to say, I told you so on this, because they're already comparing ransomware attacks to 9-11. Yeah. This is the new 9-11. This is, this, is, this is the modern terrorism. This is what we have to worry about now. Give us more money and power and authority. And we have to have a national fight that gets all Americans on board. And you're like, motherfuckers. Really? They think they, think they can get away with this again? God damn it. Yeah. So Daily Mail. Now we have a slew of headlines today about ransomware. Silliness. Um, Dailymail.com. Another ransomware attack. 60 members of Congress from both parties left unable to access data for weeks in latest cyber hack. Predictable escalation. If this is like, and I don't, I, I don't know. Does ransomware actually happen, or is it all government agents setting this up as like false flag shit? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but no, I, I believe it's a real thing. But this just reeks a false flag escalation in this whole new ransomware bullshit. So, in latest ransomware attack, members of Congress are hacked. At least 60 lawmakers left unable to access constituent data for weeks. And by the way, the thing about this is there's, there's, there's an, it's, it's like 9-11. It, it's, it's like, uh, what was the Vietnam incident? Oh, my Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, like the Gulf of Tonkin incident uh, that turned out to be a fabrication, you know, uh, even if the stories are true, even if it's not like, even if you believe the government story completely on 9-11, even if you believe the government story on the Gulf of Tonkin, which they've since retracted even, you know, okay, it does not justify the response. Like a terrorist attack on 9-11 by Osama bin Laden that kills 3,000 Americans does not justify a decades-long and occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan. No fucking way. But then you go, like, you look at this with, with okay, so Congress was at, who's responsible? Like, it's one thing if you say, hey, all these massive corporations, these private companies are getting hacked suddenly by ransomware. We've got this government security collective thing going on. So we're going to use that to address the problem of ransomware. It's in the public interest, national security, blah, blah, blah. There's a certain, there's, there's still... The, the defiance of logic of, hey, let's socialize that thing. Let's let's have, you know, socialized defense or response to threats of whatever kind. But in this case, it's government protecting government, failing to protect government, saying, therefore, we need more government. Target was iConstituent, a tech vendor that provides constituent services. Issue is still being resolved as lawmaker frustration grows. Unclear who was responsible for attack. U.S. government and companies have been targeted by Russian cyber hackers. President Biden will discuss discuss matter with Putin when they meet next week. Safe prediction here. This attack is cyber attack by these cyber terrorists. Must be met with more government. CNN.com, first on CNN, U.S. recovers millions in cryptocurrency paid to colonial pipeline ransomware hackers. Hmm, how did that happen? U.S. investigators have recovered millions in cryptocurrency they say it was paid in ransom to hackers who 
An attack prompted the shutdown of the key East Coast pipeline last month. The Justice Department announced Monday the announcement confirms CNN's earlier report about the FBI-led operation, which was carried out with cooperation from Colonial Pipeline, the company that fell victim to the ransomware attack in question. Specifically, Justice Department said it seized approximately 2.3 million in Bitcoin paid to individuals in a criminal hacking group known as DarkSide. The FBI said it has been investigating DarkSide, which is said to share its malware tools with other criminal hackers for over a year. <clears throat> but I have a hard time believing that is is really some threat when when we get to our story a little down the line about the global crime sting yeah but before that abcnews.go.com energy chief cites risk of cyber attacks crippling power grid yes because this pipeline thing happened right that attack and the jbs meat packing company attack now we 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 really we, oh, we're gonna we're gonna embrace all the fear we can energy secretary jennifer granholm is urging more public private cooperation on cyber defenses oh yes now what how what, what did mussolini define fascism again as again mussolini defined fascism as the merging of corporations and the state and just openly calling for more public-private cooperation on cyber defenses. And when you have the current statist mentality of today where socializing defense, socializing security is, is like the assumption this kind of fascism happens in the name of security and you don't even see it. It, it doesn't even occur to you. Rich Clark, the hackers didn't even think to transfer their coins to a cold storage. The Alphabet boys got the crypto back from an exchange. Yeah, that like smart enough to hack crypto but not use it to properly hide it the, the, mm. oh just i i you know i don't want to i don't want to uh, there's no tin foil in my hat okay guys but uh th this does just kind of reek of a false flag and and this is if you don't know you know, look up the history of false flag incidents in the Lusitania and the Gulf of Tonkin and, 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 and just so many other examples throughout human history. So uh, Wall Street Journal, New York City Law Department hit by cyber attack. <gasps> they got the law department. Hackers breached the New York City Law Department's computer system over the weekend prompting the city to limit access to the network as it investigates the cyber attack, officials said Monday. The city's cyber command, which monitors more than 100 government agencies and offices, first detected the breach on Saturday. It is unclear if any private or sensitive data was taken. We don't know. No ransom was sought. We don't know. Be very afraid. As a precaution, the city limited. And, you know, this, like, we detected a breach. Could have been a mistake. Uh, but hey, we have the opportunity to make people think that we are the government, the thin blue line between civilization and chaos. Make them remember why they need us. That, that's a line for, that's not me. That's that's a line from B for Vendetta. All right, to the more interesting international police state update crime story, AFP at yahoo.com. Hundreds arrested. And staggering global crime sting. It's really interesting. There's some there's some 
translation that needs to be done here. Dear, is it, is it possible to get more hot water? Yeah. All right, thank you. Police arrested more than 800 people worldwide in a huge global sting involving encrypted phones that were secretly planted by the FBI, law enforcement agencies said Tuesday. Cops in 16 countries were able to read the messages of global underworld figures as they plotted drug deals, arms transfers, and gangland hits on the compromised Anom devices. And I go, like, if you were dumb enough, like, this is not really... Or focus on the hits and, like, I wonder, I wonder how many violent incidences were stopped. Probably not. Versus drug incidents. Because you have to be, you have to be pretty dumb. Like, I figured this shit out a long time ago. That just, like, in the world that we live in, where government has backdoors to everything or can subpoena everything, or can, like, uh, you could, you could have a, complete, a completely encrypted device and then somebody's going to tell me, no, Adam, there's a way to do this with encryption that would work. Okay, fine. Obviously, these people did not go to that effort, right? But yes, like, I, I don't think it, you could have a completely, you could have, you have an encrypted service transmitting encrypted data to an encrypted server and it, it, and it doesn't matter because unless it's a destroyed, like, transmission, <clears throat> and even then, I, I wouldn't trust it. But government can threaten the people, op the people operating the servers. The, the government can come in and threaten you. The government can threaten anybody in this chain and say, "No, we need this information, and if you don't give it to us, you're going to jail." That's the world we live in, and the implication of this is that no digital communication is absolutely secure unless end-to-end air-gapped offline encryption. If you don't know what that means, then you probably can't do it. But here, I have a quick explanation. Air-gap means that there's a like air-gap from a computer that's online to offline. So like you, you create your encryption keys. You physically take, you don't transmit them. You physically take the other key that and, and, and it goes to, to somebody else. And they are able to take a message that you write and compose offline, and then you encrypt it. You put it on a thumb drive. You take it across the air gap, and you put it on another device that's connected to the internet. You transmit it, and they download it. And they take it on that thumb drive, and they take it across another air gap, and they put it on a device that's offline, that is not transmitting, that can't be broken into by government that way. And they put the thumb drive in and then they use the decryption keys and like if it's not that like you can't be sure and this story just underscores that right so police arrested more than 800 people worldwide in a huge global sting involving encrypted phones that were secretly planted by the fbi sorry i read that part mafia groups asian crime syndicates motorcycle gangs and other organized crime syndicates around the world were all monitored using the spike phones as part of Operation Trojan Shield, the sting jointly conceived by Australia and the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, prevented around 100 murders. I doubt that. Foiled several large-scale narcotics shipments, probably, and led to seizures of weapons and cash, they added. Now, when they say, okay, so... How do they substantiate this? Because this is one of those government claims that upon analysis or with time always just comes way down. Quietly brag about it when they can get away with exaggerating it before it gets looked into. And then 
they 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 have to kind of gavel later, right? So prevented around 100 murders. Well, there was this one guy that we arrested who murdered 100 people, and so you know we arrested him, and he was going to murder 100 more. That's not preventing 100 murders. Foiled several large-scale narcotics shipments. Yeah, that, that's what they do, but it's really the DEA's job, and they have enough money to do this too. Um, and really, that's a victimless crime, shipping narcotics. Fuck you for stopping goods from getting to people who wanted to consume them. Uh, seizures of weapons and cash. They would be bragging about the numbers. Like, oh, we, it's, it's like when they bust somebody and they, they you know, break into their apartment. And we'll, we found weapons and money that looked like it was used for drugs. And it's like, yeah, there, there was a couple hundred dollars under the mattress and you know, a guy had a, you know, handgun a shotgun for home defense and they make it sound like he was some you know mafia boss right uh, but as fbi assistant director calvin shivers told reports the headquarters of the eu's police agency europol hq in the netherlands the results are staggering he said the fbi fbi have provided criminal syndicates in over 100 countries with the devices in the last 18 months that allow us to monitor their communications europol hailed the exceptional operation which saw around 12,000 of the Anom devices distributed worldwide to criminals who thought they were chatting in secret. The, and, and there's so much more. To, someone's going to write a book about this. I'm, I'm going to want to read it. Uh, so they said that these, they, uh, there are 800 arrests, 700 locations searched, 22 tons of cannabis, 2 tons of meth, 250 guns, 55. And, and by the way, they arrested 800 people and only found 250 guns. That should tell you something. 55 luxury vehicles and over $48 million in various currencies and cryptocurrencies. So this is really interesting. Uh, police said the supposedly hardened encrypted devices were handed out to operatives within the mafia, Asian crime syndicates, drug cartels, and outlaw motorcycle gangs as part of the elaborate FBI-led plot. Uh, I wish I could say I told you so. Uh, but I feel like... I, this, this doesn't surprise me at all. Just given the nature of the world we're in, the FBI, uh, the way that it works, the huge budgets they have, that they would have a kind of big sting like this and try to set people up. I think they're learning from the Silk Road experience. Because remember with the Silk Road, they busted Ross Ulbricht. It was messy. And they were going, man, I, you know, I, I wish we could have gotten all these other uh you know, all, all these other drug dealers involved with the Silk Road. So uh, the FBI operated its own encrypted device company called Anon. So this is really, I, I mean, the implications, not just for criminals, but for everybody to know that uh, none of your digital communications are secure. And even if you're going to a security company, it could be an FBI front, dnyuz.com. The criminals thought the devices were secure, but the seller was FBI. Yeah, so this is, if you want to get it, I'm just going to leave this in the notes. T.me slash Adam versus the man, if you want to get more into the story. Unbeknown to them, the entire network was run by the FBI. Yep. So it was three-year operation. They intercepted 20 million messages and arrested at least 800 people in more than a dozen countries. Now, one last police state update. From thehill.com, new report highlights severe intelligence failures on January 6th. Yeah, we're still catching up from that. Senate investigators have outlined a spectacular series of intelligence and communications failures leading up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. A new report that paints a picture of a horrific scene that left lawmakers and staff 
scrambling for safety. Oh, it threatened the lives of your privileged lawmakers. Well, then, then it's a real threat. But what's interesting, again, about this, like with the false flags, false flag insurrection, there's like, the, now they're trying to cut off this theory that, 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 that I have generally suggested is, is, is most likely uh, for how it happened is that uh, Trump and his Trump and his followers were set up. Uh, that, and I'm not I'm not here to defend Trump at all, but uh, that they knew this was happening. They knew there was an angry mob coming towards the Capitol. They must have at least let it happen on purpose. That we're talking about the security for the United States Capitol buildings. Like no, and and you're not ready to deal with an angry mob of maggotards. Come on, no, 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 no. Someone somewhere along the line said, stand down or hid the reports. There was some deliberate sabotage of what is already in place as the Capitol's natural defense system with the police and being able to call in the National Guard when necessary, as they did after, <laughs> not before January 6th. And so now the 127-page report, which includes a transcript of former President Trump's speech to rally goers is the first full Congressional Committee review of the deadly attack on Congress as it moved to certify President Biden's election victory. And they're saying that it outlines a spectacular series of intelligence and communication failures. And of course, the government bullshit response is, oh, well, we need to learn from our experience and therefore spend more money. All right, now... Um, I think I have one story out of place here, Jim. I'm going to skip and come back to. Um, but in a sort of, I guess, no, I'm sorry. This is in the right place. I'm including this as part of the, the, the police state update, right? Reuters, Google to change global advertising practices in landmark antitrust deal. And uh, the U.S. tech giant was fined $268 million. It will not appeal and follows complaint by publishers. So this is, uh, Google said, it would make changes to its global advertising business to ensure it did not abuse its dominance, bowing to antitrust pressure for the first time in a landmark settlement with French authorities. The deal with the French competition watchdog could help rebalance the power over advertising in favor of publishers, which held sway over the business of the pre-internet era, but lost control with the rapid rise of Google and Facebook. So when we look at this through our analysis, the libertarian analysis of American economics and the relationship between Google and the American government as a product of that government's corporatist policies and intellectual property policies, and it's it, it, there, there are a lot of chicken and egg questions in here first, right? You know, right? They're like, which came first, the corrupt corporation or the government that, that it weaponizes to, to, to serve its corruption? And with this... You also have a foreign government involved. So if it's a product of the American government, are there, is there enough autonomy that the French government is responding to independently and saying, you know, like, well, fuck you, American corporations. You're going to do business here. We're going to take $268 million. But when it comes down to it, Google knows that they've got the French government by the balls. And maybe this is like petty striking back. Well, we got another $268 million. And this is how they move the money to their security racket that essentially protects the whole thing of the corporatist racket that allows Google to be Google 
in the first place. TheGrowthUp.com, kids these days, 19 cited for buying cannabis with cryptocurrency. The teens allegedly used Bitcoin to make the purchases, believing that the cryptocurrency would allow them to evade detection, police said. Uh, yeah, and there's more to this story, but you can use it properly and, and avoid detection. Uh, the teens have been accused of distributing as well as possessing. So um, how they actually got caught versus how they're being told, how we're being told they got caught might be some divergent stories. Um, so a recent raid on a suspected cannabis grower in the UK found no cannabis. <laughs> Shocking, right? But instead uncovered a Bitcoin mining operation with 100 computers. <laughs> Whoops. I'm sure those were confiscated too. Uh, and finally, and this is this is a police state update story. I guess transition segue to our main economics block here. G7 nations reach historic deal on global tax reform. I did I wait, which block did I put this in? Uh, oh no, this is economics. Because it's it's not really police state. They are funding the police state to protect corporatism. But what's interesting is because you go, well, it's the tax man. But in this case, it's not the tax man backed up by police, right? Because you know that as an individual, if you don't pay your taxes, eventually, men with guns, and some women, yes, uh, will come and point them at you and threaten you to give up your property and take it away or take you away or take your life if you're a citizen. That's not really what this is. This is more like a negotiation. But what's interesting here is that this is governments perhaps pulling back on corporatism, but I, I, that's more what they want it to look like than what it really is. Are governments getting their act together and closing corporate tax evasion loopholes in a globally connected world? Governments working together to gang up perhaps? Under the agreement, G7 nations will, black, will back a global minimum corporate tax of at least 15%. UK Finance Minister Rishi Sunak announced in a series of tweets. The reforms will affect the largest companies in the world with profit margins of at least 10%. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was in London for the face-to-face -face meeting, hailed the move as significant and unprecedented. And what this is like, is it's taking away international tax havens. Like, you can't just, on paper, move your global headquarters to another country and say, well, we're paying taxes here as opposed to uh, in, in, in countries where we're actually doing more business. And like, how do I feel about corporate tax loopholes? I mean, it, it, people who are benefiting from government uh, subsidization of their businesses through corporatism shouldn't, uh, you know, necessarily be forced to pay money back in taxes. And I'm not going to be like, you, Joey, when, with our experiences with masks recently, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there there seems to be a, a, a double-edged sword in how we are just a, a public presence without masks. And in Arizona, like, I'm grateful. I think the role just being in the towns around us without masks and normalizing it has made it possible for people now to go like, you know, we're not doing this anymore. You know, and, and we paved the way and showed that, 
you know, every time we were, we went to Walmart how many times during full mask pandemic mode and we were the only ones. I mean, it was mostly me and Jim. Like there was a period when we were doing buy, like in homesteading supplies and just that nobody freaked out. And it shows the contradiction, right? Because if you're really scared, you know, like everybody would be going up to you. Look, you're not wearing a mask. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Nobody except at the door. Jesus, do you have a mask? No, thanks. I have a medical exemption. And that was it. Even that couple so, we sat by the airport. Remember, they were all wearing a mask. The family, the, the grandparents, the couple that right. were married and all, they were all And she masks. had it on. And he he had his nose out. Yep. And we talked to them and they both took it off. Yep, they both and everyone's like, this is bullshit. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, but the other part, and this is what I'm getting at with this. I'm, I'm saying I don't want to fall for this temptation. Is that people who think they have to wear masks, the Karen, will tattletale and complain. And I think this happened more when I was flying back from Wisconsin. I think it happened to me yesterday. But- <laughs> oh, yeah, well, maybe. Well, yeah, but, no, no, but they're, they're not pursuing that shit anymore. Like, as Joey got yelled at in the airport. And it was funny because I was walking next to her also not wearing a mask, but maybe like my beard made it look like it, or I had my mask at least. The thing I was wearing my mask, I, I have my bandana around my neck under my beard. Karen didn't want to it's like, band. we're walking together. I think Karen's know like burly dudes aren't going to beat them up in airports. Uh, yeah. You know, like they can, and it's like the, the bully, like I think about this, like with the, with the flight attendants, they look at you funny when you're walking on the airport without it but they don't say shit you get into their line on their airline or on their plane well now the marshals are backing me up on this shit this is my territory and if i kick you off the police are going to come and meet you at the gate you know and it's because they, they got that muscle backing them up that they feel the ability to do that just like a karen so like a karen in the back alley joey is not going to yell at you for not wearing a mask a Karen at an airport with security cameras and police everywhere will. Yeah, she's got backup. And there is a, a kind of resentment from some of them when they look at you when you're in the airport, not in their territory, not in their turf. And they look at you like, how are they getting away with this? I want them to not get away with this, right? And it's like Joey smoking pot in the back of the classroom, right? Or, times. or it's like, and you, someone gets in trouble and tells on their friend, goes, well, if I'm going to get in trouble, you should get in trouble too. No, 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 no. There's, there, there's, no, no, there's this really sick inclination to fairness in victimization. Well, if you're going to, if I'm going to be victimized, everybody else should be victimized too. We see in pharmaceuticals, how come EpiPens cost love? Shots are free. Why don't we just ask, how come everything is the way it is? So it's kind of like that with with the way I look at corporate taxes, and I have to take that analysis into it and make sure I'm not doing that. But I do, in a sense, want corporations to pay back taxes because it's government funds going back to government that might in some way be used for the people when they're profiting so much. I want them to have to give up a little more of their racket in order to maintain the 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 illusion that the system is fair and that major corporations are are paying their fair share in taxes as opposed to being profiteers off the whole system. So you see why I'm a little torn on the subject. Um, but that's kind of what this is now 
preventing them from using tax havens and saying, oh, no, we're making the system more fair. There's a lot more power play involved in this. So I. I mm. All right. So we got a we got a quick uh, econ block. And uh, since our guest is waiting, we're going to get to them early. Um, actually, let's, let's go ahead and get to our guest right now. And we're, we're, that was our our first part of the econ block. We have the bottom 90 percent of Americans are borrowing from the, the top one percent next. So. Um, but first, let's, since we've been a while, we're going we're gonna to check in with our co-host, Steve, and then we're going to get to our guest, Nate. Thank you for joining us early. So, Steve, any updates on the comment contest? Did I, did I miss anything there? So, um, so I, did miss, I did miss Moose Girl 08. Uh, she would go to Jamaica. Um, and part of the reasoning was uh, cannabis-related and something else. Uh, the comment is no longer on my feed. So... Um, and then uh, I believe Rebecca Wood had a follow-up where, where she was under the impression that uh, she didn't she wouldn't have the money to get deported, but the government will pay to get you there, Rebecca. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. They'll take care of you. They'll send you there. Oh, that reminds me. There was a story I skipped earlier this week that was like, clever migrant smuggler uses border patrol for free trips back to Mexico. Like, and that's what he would do because he would go on these you know missions to smuggle people into the united states with like nothing on him or end with leave with nothing on him and then let himself get caught and get a free trip home <laughs> damn it yeah talk about unintended consequences uh but you know I, I wonder about that like if you're looking for okay so mike freedom says guam you gotta give us the why bro um yeah, i lived on guam for two years man that's a u.s territory you're still gonna you're gonna you're not gonna get to go to a u.s territory right. brother. <laughs> there yeah my bad <laughs> how did i not catch that right away yeah that is a great answer Liechtenstein. and if you don't know about Liechtenstein, look it up it is a very cool example of a, a principality of, of a, a private country essentially that is a uh, benign monarchy uh where the monarchs are relatively libertarian very small country and it functions extremely well um, but uh, the, the the question I, I would have raised from what you said earlier there, Steve, was uh, drug policy and sort of gentleness of the police state, right? You know, is it, and I would say Canada's pretty good on that. You know, and you might say London or England even, um, being being you know where where cops are disarmed for the most part. You know, I don't want to say entirely, but cops on the street are disarmed. They only have firearms with uh, when they call special like SWAT team type units to respond. And um, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to own a firearm myself there, obviously, but you know, I've, 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 told, I've said it, you know, we've said, we libertarians have said it snarkily a number of times, like, oh yeah, disarm all the criminals first. And uh, then maybe we can talk about me giving up my gun. And it's like, well, uh, they kind of did it, you know, police, major source of crime. Um, and and un, un inappropriate application of force and violence. So, uh, and and I, I do, I, I'll spare everybody the rant, but you know, that I am, as much as I am pro guns and firearms, being pro right to self-defense and preservation of life means that I'm, I'm kind of anti-gun for self-defense in the long run because I want to, like, like Vermin Supreme, I want to take away your guns and give you better guns. Um, I want to take away the firearms and replace them with phasers that at least have a stun setting on them. 
and uh, can function better than a firearm for self-defense. So anyway, uh, those are all pretty important considerations too when yeah. it comes to uh, you know where would you want to expatriate to? Yeah, and in some of those places, you know, those their their police forces they they may be unarmed, but they have you know a lot more. Especially with this last year year and a half, we've seen uh, them them being a lot more intrusive. Like sure sure, our cops went around to businesses and talked to people, and you know, a lot of them got chased away or or apprehended somebody, but. You know, so some of these some of these countries, their their police forces are like raiding raiding the businesses with no like fair warning, and <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a it's a very interesting question that the and, and situation you could find yourself in, like pot shops, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, and gun stores. Well, yeah, just like we're like Michael Cargo. We were talking about like they they like they he tried to stay open as an essential business uh through covid and even in texas oh guns aren't an essential business nice try well he his, his gun shop is in austin so anyway um we might be having michael cargill on it you got you got my number hopefully he text me or we can uh you want to look up his email and make sure we get it to add for a follow-up now that i'm like yeah i know i really want to have michael uh he interviewed me for his radio show that's when he recognized me and not by look only after talking to me for a while, he recognized me by voice. It was pretty funny. Um, all right, Steve. Um, any any last comments or uh, reminders for the audience before we get to our guest? Uh, let's see. So last last update from Spoda B sixty nine. Yes, Lieberland. Oh, I was just thinking that. Yes, Lieberland. But hey, no one's no one said Gardenia yet. I would move to Gardenia. So hey, the, they tried. They tried. I told them it doesn't count. I told them you're getting. I'm, I told them you're getting forced out. Uh, like, well, I I, I should you say you have um, to get snuck back in. Oh, but you get forced out of the United States into Gardenia just because we're surrounded by the United States does not mean we are the United States. Um, so you know, Gardenia is my ten acre homestead, uh, but we're we're looking to expand and and um, and and have allies and and people who would want to join as neighboring micro nations as well, uh, as well as expanding our territory through, uh, through purchase. And we're, uh, we're in the process of buying some of the land, some of the lots around Gardenia. And if anybody wants to help with that, um, I'm using my VA home loan for one of them. And uh, you only get it for one, um, but I'd like to be able to, uh, to expand the territory a little further and if anybody's interested in doing some uh, some international real estate deals in Gardenia in the mountains of Arizona, uh, let us know, adam at thefreedomline.com. And with that, let's get to our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is Libertarian Party candidate Nate Honey Badger Atkins, running for mayor of Minneapolis. And uh, you go, okay, Libertarian 2021, running for mayor, mayor of Minneapolis. Ah, I, I see what you did there. I see what you're doing here. This is a very cool opportunity. And uh, in the wake of George Floyd, your website, and I think a very important part of your pitch is, look, we've pulled back the curtain. We've learned things. If we don't act on them, it will have been for nothing. 
And while the police state seems to be, be brutalizing in the wake of George Floyd, uh, we can just call it George Floyd. In the wake of George Floyd, right? Uh, so, such an epic historical singular act of police brutality and, and huge implications weighing heavy still on the consciousness there in Minneapolis. State is taking advantage of a very exciting opportunity to apply libertarian ideals to great to create practical policy at a city level in the wake of this increased awareness. So, Nate, uh, welcome to Adam versus the Man. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. I uh, have to admit, I feel a little starstruck. I've been following you because I I was a Ron Paul guy back in the 2008 2010 days, and I remember you running for Congress. So this is cool. Well, well, then it's about time you got your <laughs> activism up to this level, Nate. This is very yeah. exciting. So before we get into the race, tell us about yourself, your background, and, and your connection with the city of Minneapolis. So I'm a lifelong Minnesota resident, uh, born and raised here, lived here my whole life. I've lived in, lived in the city of Minneapolis for about uh, just over 12 years. Um, I live in a pretty good part, too, you know. Um, We've had our fair share of property crime and things like that. But, um, you know, there's other areas of Minneapolis right now that are really, uh, really struggling with a lot of uh, increase in crime and things like that. Um, my past, you know, I, I've always been kind of a libertarian Republican. I ran for the Minnesota State House a couple times. Um, uh, last time was back in two, uh, 2012. And um, I've been kind of out of politics since then. But, you know, what you said there on the intro was pretty much perfect. Um, we're in this zeitgeist right now where we have this huge opportunity mm -hmm. to enact some really meaningful, serious police reform policy and policies that I know some people like if you're kind of like a, a back the blue kind of person, if you're very pro cop, you need to realize that the policies that I'm talking about aren't going to hurt the police. If anything, it's going to really restore trust between the police and the people, and it's going to uh, bring in the necessary checks and balances on police power. Well, there is one unavoidable part of that, which is, well, we're going to make the police better, safer, and a lot more efficient, which means we're going to need a lot less of them. <laughs> and, and, and for the people who just like having a lot of cops around, you know, there is a certain, you know, change in the paradigm that we have to go through to let go of that and kind of get people past that. Um, but to, a little bit more about yourself, your connection to the community. You know, what do you do in Minneapolis? What have, what, what, what have you been involved with there for community organizations? You know, what do you feel is your connection? Your, your give, give us your credibility as, as, a, as, a, as you know, being a constituent of, of the city. Well, I've been, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, running for uh, Minnesota State House got me connected with a lot of people within the city. Um, and in terms of, you know, you know, activism and everything, I'm active in the Libertarian Party. We're uh, we're trying to get our uh, CD5, which is Congressional District 5 affiliate, um, more active um, in the city. Because one thing I'm learning is that one of the reasons why liber libertarians and libertarianism isn't as popular in urban areas is because we're just not around. We're not present. And I think we need to become more present in these neighborhoods and in these communities and in these cities um, in various ways to get people to start to listen to us and trust us. 
So, Nate, would you describe yourself as a, a philosophical libertarian or an ethical libertarian or, or a voluntarist in, in seeing the, that, that ideal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've always been an ANCAP, or I shouldn't say I've always been, but I have been for over 10 years now, but, you know, okay. absolutely a voluntarist. Um, and I really believe, you know, that the libertarian philosophy is, you know, I, I hate to say it solves problems because I believe I always listen. I, I think Thomas Sowell said it best in life. There are no solutions. There's only trade-offs. And I think that uh, libertarianism prevents the the greatest understanding of those trade-offs and allows us to really uh, peacefully coexist as a society. Okay, well, speak. That's a perfect setup for the question I want to ask next. Then, because what you're doing with this race is from the libertarian ideal perspective, because we you know we see we see the world as it is, and we mm -hmm. see the world as it should be, and we want to go. How do we get from here to there? Yep. And we, we often get distracted by that ideal. And you are taking what is really, uh, in, in some principles, the most moderate step. And I want to I read a section from the, uh, the, the meet Nate part of your website. As a libertarian, I'm not here to tear down all that is in the city in the name of creating some sort of libertarian utopia. I believe these libertarian ideals related to police reform are good, realistic ones that help restore faith and trust between the people and law enforcement. I'm not like other libertarians. At the end of the day, in the words of the great Walter Williams, I'm just me. Uh, I, a couple more things I want to get to on this website, but uh, in terms of that general idea of saying, look, these are my principles, these are my ideas, but hey, as a city of Minneapolis, I'm going to apply the best of my ideas to make immediate practical changes. Can you speak to that, you know, like uh, to, to the troll libertarian uh, idealist who say, no, how dare you compromise with the system and not go to, I mean, in a way you got to compromise with the liberals there and say, well, I'm not really trying to just completely defund the police, but let's reform it to what? Yeah, no, actually that's a great question. So what I mean by that when I'm talking about, you know, not tearing down everything that's in the city. Um, you know, I was on a podcast a few weeks ago and I was talking with this guy about how there's these issues that we tend to get distracted by as a society. Um, and in Minneapolis, I mean, there's all sorts of things that we fund, which I may have a philosophical uh, uh, disagreement on. But to me, it's kind of like, you know, funding like the creation of bike lanes or getting our, our problems with law enforcement and all the powers that they have figured out. To me, that's a that's a much more important thing than than worrying about bike lanes. And you know, what I mentioned in, in part of my my intro was in the wake of George Floyd's killing, the curtain was getting pulled back on all sorts of yes. things. It was getting pulled back on qualified yes. immunity, civil yes. asset forfeiture. Yes. Um the war on drugs, all these really important things and people were getting united behind them. But then what happened as a society, we ended up like fighting about stuff like, you know, Aunt Jemima and whether or not her face <laughs> should be on pancake syrup and, and pancake mix. Yep. And that's not to say that we shouldn't have those discussions or that we should, that it's not well, important. Let's prioritize, please. Yeah, exactly. No, it's I, like, I think that's, that, but just quick sidebar on that. To people who might be finding out about libertarianism for the first time with this interview, one of the greatest benefits 
of the libertarian perspective and analysis, when you look at value creation and individual rights and valuing human life and security properly, it allows you to prioritize. Exactly. And not get distracted by this shit. And so that's why libertarians generally, we say, we're anti-war first. I know that it's not relevant yeah. to running for mayor of Minneapolis, but it's sort of like, well, when you look at, I mean, tell me your version of this, please. But when you look at the city of Minneapolis, you go, where are people suffering the most? Where can we apply libertarian ideas to improve people's lives the most? And, exactly. and, and you get to apply that in a really powerful way in Minneapolis where people are uniquely ready for a shift because, as you said, what was the response to all this? It wasn't Democrats and Republicans swooping in and saving the day and going, oh, great, we're ready for a reform of the system. Let's all serve the people. All no. no. And it's it, that that's why a libertarian now coming in is uniquely poised, right? Yeah, and I've been talking to, in Minnesota, we have the DFL. That's the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. That's basically the Democrats here in the state. And I've been talking to some DFLers about some of my ideas, and they're actually, they're really receptive. And I got guys saying, hey, I want to bring you over into North Minneapolis, which is a, you know, a high crime, um, a lot of minorities living there, a lot of African Americans. And they're like, dude, you want to talk about making Minneapolis a sanctuary city for marijuana use? You got to get over there and talk to them. They're they're going to love this. And the other thing that I, I'm ready to preach and put out there is we need uh, more gun owners. We need more people aware of their rights as gun owners. They need to be knowledgeable. They need to be trained. They need to be educated. But we get more people out there in the streets who are comfortably and open, you know, openly carrying firearms. Man, that's going to be a huge crime deterrent. Yeah, well, hey, I, I mean, I, I would I would push back on that a little bit, especially in a liberal city like Minneapolis, where there is a certain, uh, you know, uh, uh, political, uh, you know, uh, uh, negative response to talking sure. about guns, even though in the rest of, of um, Minnesota, you got a pretty there's, there's a lot of there are a lot of northern rednecks up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot of uh, northern hillbillies and militiamen running around the woods. but. In the city of Minneapolis, and and I think also as an expression of libertarian values, the point of the, the, the I mean, we support the right to self-defense. Exactly. Your own property and of your own person where you have a right to be as a matter of inviolate principle. But the purpose of it practically applied is protect human life, protect property, maximize safety and security. And I would think in the city of Minneapolis, there are a lot of opportunities for talking about restorative justice and retraining police for de-escalation Absolutely. and intervening. Like one of the stories we've got today, if you, if you don't mind me uh, interjecting a little news no, ahead. interview, um, and, and, and I think you'll see um, how this is relevant in a city like Minneapolis, and especially with the issues raised around George Floyd, um, cbsnews.com has this headline from uh, from a couple of days ago, answering the call, changing how 911 responds to mental health crises. Mm-hmm. You know, I think things like that might even be more of a priority and a better selling point for libertarian ideas to the city of Minneapolis, no? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, like I was telling people my ideas about drug decriminalization. You know, I think people hear that and they kind of, freak out a little bit and they think, oh, you're just going to let people shoot heroin on the street. And it's like, no, man, look, we need to understand that there's all these rising crime rates in Minneapolis. We have 
um, a police force, which is it hasn't received the funding that some people believes it should get. But do we want police like arresting people for smoke in a plant? Do we want police like spending their time chasing down, you know, drug users? Or do we want them investigating violent crime, you know, um, you know, looking into property crime, things like that? Those things, again, it's such a much more important use of like police time and everything. And the, the people, the the drug users and everything, let's try and steer them into, you know, rehabilitation programs and things like that. Let's try and take that, that that libertarian, compassionate response of like, hey, let them make those choices for their lives and give them the option of, of rehabilitation and treatment. Yeah, your uh, your issues page on your website starts. I mean, it's I, I love the way that you have escaped libertarianism ideologue temptation here <laughs> and make your issues not about what you care about necessarily in your you serving your your ideology but in terms of how you can best improve the lives of your constituents there and the first one is end qualified immunity then require all police to carry liability insurance as a condition of employment that's a huge one all drug use possession and sales but the last one on, on this list is Minneapolis should identify a location for a mental health hospital connected to a city-run homeless facility where individuals experiencing homelessness or mental health crises can be provided adequate resources in a safe and controlled environment. Getting a little wonky, but I'm, 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 I'm very, very glad that that is included there on your website. So I, I have one fun question I want to wrap up with, but before we get to that, Give us your political promises to the city of Minneapolis. I promise a chicken in every pot and no more police brutality, right? No, but uh, you you can at least <laughs> and, and I want I want I want to like preface this by saying libertarians as candidates have this weird thing that's kind of rare in politics called integrity where we don't promise outcomes, but we can make commitments to work towards certain things and Absolutely. to do this with the authority that we're given. So Give us your best campaign promises to the people of Minneapolis here, please. So here's the thing that I'm going to do. I mean, because there's there's a push for and there's people who are fighting to either <clears throat> defund or fund the police. And my response to that is I'm not going to allow the police to be to for the funding to be increased without these kinds of uh, rights and protections and checks and balances on their power, because we need we can't let them run roughshod over our rights. We can't let things like George Floyd happen again. We can't let civil asset uh, forfeiture continue. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do absolutely everything in my power to stop that. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make uh, Minneapolis a sanctuary city for marijuana use because the Minnesota legislature has absolutely failed. We got Republicans and Democrats fighting over this issue. And it's such a simple no brainer thing. I mean, our neighbor next door, conservative South Dakota, they voted to legalize it. Why the hell hasn't Minnesota done so? If Minnesota can't get it done, I'm going to get it done as a mayor and work with our police chief to have uh, police officers basically stand down and not arrest or harass people for marijuana use. Absolutely. So. All right. Here's my last question for you. And it's kind of a three parter. Uh, there's some interesting symbolism on your website, and most prominently, <laughs> the peace sign, top left okay. corner. I love it. I love it because as libertarians, like I said, 
we're anti-war first, but there's a war on the people being conducted by the police and in a place like Minneapolis where that tension is tangible, to make a overt call for peace is beautiful. There's another symbol snuck in here on your website at the bottom of the Meet Nate page, the upside down British style crown. Yep. You also openly, proudly refer to yourself by the Honey Badger nickname here, Nate Honey Badger Atkins. So three of these symbols or three, three, you know, honey badger words, symbols, raising the icon of the honey badger. Peace sign, upside down crown, honey badger. What are you trying to say with all this, Nate? The upside down cross came from um, kind of inspired by, you remember the old, uh, the old British uh uh, propaganda posters from World War II where it said keep calm and keep carry calm on and there'd be, the there be the cross there yeah. or I'm sorry not the cross the crown, the crown yeah. and I wanted an inverted crown because I think that there's a there's a time for us to really question and legitimately show disdain for the existing authorities out there who are behaving basically like royalty they yeah. are behaving like kings and queens and like more or less like the crown um, the honey badger moniker is actually something that was just a nickname that someone gave to me. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to go back to your previous question about making campaign promises, I'm going to be that, that honey badger who doesn't give a shit, who's going to absolutely fight with all the tenacity that I have to get those police reforms through so that we can have a, a peaceful society. Because the two things that I want for Minneapolis are peace and prosperity. And the website is honeybadgerformayor.com. Nate, thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck in this race. Thank you for having me. All right. Man, that's an exciting opportunity. I'm I if you're if you're in Minneapolis, if you're if you're in driving distance of Minneapolis, like you want to talk, like stop and think about the last year. I'm not just saying like, oh hey, look, here's another little opportunity for libertarian activism. Like, no. The Libertarian Party has a serious candidate for mayor of Minneapolis. And if you are going to be, if you're in Minnesota, if you're part of the LP, if you're volunteering there, I, I, I would encourage you to really take a take a good look at this opportunity. It even makes sense for you to get involved as a volunteer with this campaign, because there are a lot of fun conversations. I mean, if I was in Minneapolis, I would do it just for the conversations, just to be able to make make videos talking to people raising these issues because these are big issues and and it is that shift in consciousness in minneapolis that may be the the sort of uh hole in the dam or the crack in the wall the that, that is going to allow us to push uh push i push through I don't, i'm mixing metaphors it sounds really weird now but you know you get you know you know the thing with you know with the words um yes yeah, as joe biden would say so back to economic stories, Bloomberg.com, the bottom 90% of Americans are borrowing from the top 1%. We know three things about the U.S. economy. The rich are getting richer. Everyone else is in debt and interest rates have fallen. Is there a connection? Yes. And the link has implications for fiscal and monetary policy. By forcing interest rates down, extreme wealth inequality pushes the U.S. economy towards a debt trap. It's hard to escape with conventional macroeconomic tools, right? Atif Mian of Princeton, that's in quotes. 
uh, Ludwig Straub of Harvard, and Ahmed Sufi of the University of Chicago, an important paper that came out earlier this year titled Indebted Demand. They advocate unconventional measures such as redistributive tax policies that narrow the gap between rich and poor. And part of that is so misguided where you go, wait, you mean we're going to turn to the government that created this wealth inequality on behalf of the rich, the institution whose purpose is fundamentally to keep the rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us? Uh, but the implications of understanding wealth inequality, and I would say this was something I, I genuinely supported about Occupy Wall Street and why I was happy to cover it. Since the heart of the movement of Occupy Wall Street was calling attention to wealth inequality. Now, problem is if you're an economically illiterate liberal hippie with stinky armpits in Zuccotti Park, you're not going to be calling you're you're fucking absolutely off base on where you go with this. But to call attention to it before you take action, you must understand it. So this is why understanding all of the ways that government creates this artificial economic inequality is so important. Um, anyway, so this wealth inequality thing, again, it's a fun story economically uh, if you want to get into it. I, if I had done this, I could have done an hour just on that story. I already closed with that. We're moving on. Next up, fortune.com, pure panic, lumber prices up a staggering 280% as builders scramble for supply. I, got, I just got to say, as like, as a homesteading construction woodworking geek, like while they're playing these, there's a video, uh, Fortune Raw, and it, and it's it like I'm watching this as I'm reading it in the background, and it's got these uh, background shots of like wood being milled close up uh, behind statistics. It's like really beautiful production from from Fortune on this one. Um, let's see, is it is it in this video or do I, do I have to? I got to refresh now. It already played out the whole thing. Jim, you want to pull this up? Um, or is, and all these video players on news sites are, are, are really obnoxious. Um, but at least this one with Fort, here it is. Yeah, Jim, go ahead, and, go ahead and pull up the first video there. See, it's got like a lumber mill slicing. Out. Yeah, there's like these cool, really cool B-roll shots. I'm just like blown away by the production value of like a very simple story here and i'm losing the point here because there it is on screen current lumber prices are adding at least 20 i got now i got to back up twenty four thousand dollars to the price tag of a typical new single family home holy shit yeah and this is uh just increase in demand people to look, look into and, and this is what they're saying is that it's because there's a huge shortage from do-it-yourselfers over the course of the pandemic, the, the, the prices are still going up. I, I think there's a lot more to it than this. And yeah, we could pick this apart for hours too. Uh, for weeks, Fortune has relayed a similar message to readers. The price of lumber is likely to continue posting new all-time highs this spring to the ire of home builders and do-it-yourselfers alike. That prediction continues to be right. And signs point to this all-time high soon getting top two on Tuesday of July. Futures contract price per thousand board feet of two by fours jumped $63 to 1,481. That squeeze is a result of home builders scrambling to get lumber for upcoming summer projects they already have on the books. And so when they can price this in 
to new home starts that are funded by banks because banks want new homes for the rich because that money is still out there chasing high-end homes that you know in, in the in the age of covid corporate profiteering uh sorry comment from six estate arizona it's the sawmills jacking the prices <clears throat> sure but sawmills are not like doing something new i i mean um your six estate on youtube you are correct to point out that that is the mechanism that they are jacking prices yes but why? Like, what is the cause of this demand? It's it's larger macroeconomic policy. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the COVID shutdowns. It's the manipulation of the housing market and the industry and the regulations and financing, especially around it, where now you as an individual trying to add a deck to your home, go, well, fuck, it's going to cost me three times as much as a year ago. Um, I'll do something else with my money. And so who gets lumber? Who gets it? It's, it's the super rich buying new houses still get the lumber for their homes because in, in in a lot of those the actual value of the lumber being priced in is not significant but this is another huge contraction of the economy and i i at least this this particular segment and a lot of things are going to be implicated in or a, a lot of uh, uh, affected impacted by the uh the increase in lumber prices and not necessarily in a bad way because i think about even for myself as a homesteader thinking about what am i building I'm much more inclined now to build thermal mass, to build things that are not wood, to build things that are a lot more energy efficient. And as much as I want to, you know, like I'm, I'm pro using wood, I am still going to decry the uh, overuse of stick frame buildings, especially in the Southwest, like Phoenix, a city that wouldn't exist without air conditioning, where you should have, especially there, adobe or packed earth or some modern version like earth chips perhaps of a thermal mass home that is way more efficient to heat or cool. And it's because government create, like, so if you're building a new house, if you are building it yourself, you get, and you're planning on living there for a long time, you get to price in these long-term energy efficiency things. And so maybe it costs a little bit more because it's labor to pack tires and build an earth ship, but you save that money within a few years when it comes to electricity costs, I guess if you're solar off grid, it almost doesn't matter, right? That's more important. But you get to save it in energy costs overall over the next few years because you, but, and so you get to do that calculation. But because, oh, well, you're on grid and people are encouraged to sort of separate from these decisions. Now we have massive inefficiencies in on grid stick frame homes that, like, hey, Texas, snowstorm, what do you know? Now they can't all heat their homes because the natural gas on grid bullshit. Mm, not worth it, right? Why does that exist? Because of the larger economic manipulations you're financing that creates an incentive to pay more that subsidizes. I mean, think about it. Homes are overvalued. We're not in a housing bubble. We're in a massive long-term housing value over inflation because it's what's subsidized. It's what's regulated, controlled, and funded in a way through massive loans, in a way that is pushed by government for control, for financial exploitation, not for economic efficiency. And what do you know? Here we are. And uh, yeah, I can't stop myself from going on some of these rants. Lucif Lou Fisarius, rat speed. What are hardwood prices comparatively? That could be a good indicator. I don't know. We don't have time to get into any more of this. Let's see how many headlines I can skim in five minutes. Uh, Saskatoon News. Uh, CTV, 
long-awaited $122.3 million settlement paid to members of Clearwater River Diné Nation. Uh, thank you, Mercedes, for sharing this in the Producers Club. I was trying to say this for the economic block today. Don't really get to get into it as an economic story, but at least we can celebrate it as good news and perhaps a slight modicum of economic justice. Washington Post at MSN, at gro as grocery prices rise, alt meat takes a bigger bite of Big Meat's burger. And as a vegetarian, as someone who wants to extend the non-aggression principle to animals as best we practically can, uh, and yeah, you gotta kill an animal to fucking survive. Yeah, I would, I would kill you to survive. I would eat another human if I had to, to survive. But if I don't need to, I'm not even gonna kill an animal for my mouth pleasure. So that this is actually happening, good news. Plant-based meat was having a moment before the pandemic, nabbing celebrity investors, record-setting IPOs, Whopper fast food deals, and high-end chefs who transform pea protein and soy to savory expectation, defying deliciousness. Yeah, they're talking about the impossible Whopper. It's amazing. It's better than meat. Marketwatch.com. As AMC Entertainment stock surges, SEC says it's watching memes for disruptions of the market, manipulative trading, or other misconduct. Yeah. I, I was thinking about including this in the police state, but financial regulatory enforcement agencies are now reading memes. Yeah. Yeah. Got to look out for those, those independent investors. Propublica.org, the secret IRS files. Trove of never before seen records reveal how the wealthiest avoid income tax. We know this, but now it's revealed. The curtain is pulled back one more undeniable level. <clears throat> Bloomberg Quint. Dot com Bitcoin tax dodgers targeted in Denmark as old law gets a revamp. Yeah. Finally, in our economics block, Walmart.com. And this was funny because it was linked on Drudge Report straight to Walmart.com slash CP slash care clinic slash whatever. But it's Walmart introducing Walmart Health. Looking for a variety of care services at affordable prices. Walmart Health has you covered visit our newest locations in Dallas, Georgia, and Kowloon, Georgia, for primary care, dental, counseling, labs, x-ray, hearing, and more. And you might think, oh my God, this is gross, Walmart healthcare. No, this is really good news. This is saying, fuck you to the medical establishment. You are subject to market forces too. Now, yes, it's happening through corporatism. Yes, it's Walmart. It's not BJ Lawson doing you know, community care collectives and doctors not getting to, to rip people off as much and pharmaceuticals not making as much, but it's still a good step. All right, we're gonna have to save our shrooms block and our... Um, Kerry Lake block for tomorrow or Thursday when we're catching up. Um, AP switch, skipping ahead, global glitch swaths of internet go down after cloud outage. Dozens of websites briefly went offline around the globe Tuesday, including CNN, the New York Times, and Britain's government homepage after an outage at the cloud service vastly illustrating how vital a small number of behind the scenes companies have become to running the internet, but also why we're going to see a drive towards mesh nets, if only for stability of the internet. Study finds out our, we're gonna have to come back to the gluten-free generation story when we have more time and the mafia boss story and, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, here's one we can get out of the way, theverge.com. Facebook gives Trump a two-year suspension, changes rules for politicians. It won't give politicians special treatment going forward. And you go, really, you two? or really Facebook, what's the difference? We don't believe you. <laughs> and you are giving, now you're admitting that you were giving, okay. Now, oh yeah, we remember, oh yeah, special treatment for politicians in the past. All right. Um, I don't know. 
All right. Jim, you go to the last link in the stack, please, to this Twitter video and just play the video. And I will say, and now your moment of Zen. Nicholas Sarkozy getting slapped in the face. I'm sorry, Sarkozy. Just in, President Macron of France. Yes, getting slapped in the face during France tour. Get that full screen, play it with sound from the beginning. No sound. All right, I'll just narrate it. Wasn't that awesome? That was your moment of zen. President Macron getting slapped in the face at a handshake line. And uh, I, I didn't actually get to see a good news story about this. You can see the police mobbing the guy behind the line afterwards. Um, but I, I hope he's uh, celebrated appropriately as a hero in France, as he should be. All right, let's get Steve up here to wrap up our comment contest for the day. Steve, great job keeping the comments flowing. Thank you to everybody in the audience. Who is our winner? Any other notable entries? So we have one new entry from Mike Freeman. Antarctica, because I like hunting penguins and I speak polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answers only. Good yeah, one. So uh, I think uh, I think uh, uh, Rich Clark and Liechtenstein. I think that is the, the the most solid answer. If any of us could actually get into Liechtenstein, <laughs> so that's that's probably uh, I believe I believe Rich is the winner there. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. And thank you for reminding me. It's been a, it's been too long since I've spoken to my friends in Liechtenstein or uh, tried to visit because I wanted to go and visit and do a video about it. Uh, but it's always a subject worth pointing out when you're talking about localization or fundamentally reconsidering government, looking at the Liechtenstein model and how how it's been successful and, and how libertarian it is. Steve, any final thoughts? Uh no. <laughs> Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Good luck escaping the paycheck to paycheck life of most Americans today. All right, Jim, take us home with the producer notes, please. What's going on? The winner of the contest, please. Thank, congratulations, by the way. And send me an email, jim at thefreedomline.com to collect your winnings. You guys forgot that part, how to tell him how to collect his winnings. Uh, join us, t.me forward slash Adam versus Man. Plenty of links today for me to describe to you that we didn't get to get to, but they're there in the link. So you don't have to wait till tomorrow when he gets to his links. If you don't want, you can join him right there and check them out. Patreon.com forward slash Adam versus Man shows you the different levels you can support the show. You can uh, be cool like the contest winner today and join the producers club through there at 10 bucks a month. Uh, you'll also get 15% off of free shipping on all the merchandise once that's ready. Cigarfederation.com is an excellent website with promo code Adam10. You can get 10% off of everything there. Instagram handle is at the Garden of Freedom to check out everything going up there in Gardenia. And the crypto6.com is for the Bitcoin church guys that got raided. You can help them out with that website. And gogreenenergyonline.com is the best do-it-yourself website for solar and micro wind energy and everything self-sustaining. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. In the Las Vegas Adam versus the Man Studios, we're going to wrap up with good news in history for June 8th from goodnewsnetwork.org. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time filtering out, as, as much as I appreciate them doing this for us every day of the year, and that we get to have this perspective on history. With, what's, what's all the good stuff to look back on? There's a lot of stuff I have to ignore as irrelevant celebrity stuff and sports stuff. 
And a lot of stuff I have to translate. And so today we have two powerful examples of good news that's not really good news and good news that needs to be celebrated more as it is. It was on this day in 1789, a proposed Bill of Rights was introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives by James Madison, who was hailed as the father of the Constitution. If you knew that that Constitution was the product of a coup, coming up with the excuse to justify it would not be good news. That is the Bill of Rights, the excuse. But it was also on this day in 1953, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously ruled that restaurants in Washington, D.C. could not refuse to serve Black patrons invalidating separate but, e separate but equal services as unconstitutional giving up backing up racism in order to maintain the racket that was good news and with that mwah, peace and love y'all choose happiness and be excellent to each other 